Hey, we're back. This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302, and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school, or classroom with even more knowledge, better understanding, and a clear direction on what to do next for your students and staff. In each show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor. Please like, share, and follow Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes, and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed. Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us. And this episode, we have Basil Marin with a focus on maintaining high expectations for all students and his contribution to 100 no-nonsense things that all teachers should stop doing. We consider Basil a friend. Our paths crossed probably just a, a couple years ago. And uh, welcome to the show, Basil. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Absolutely. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Basil? Dr. Basil Marin hails from the Central Virginia area. He's a graduate of Eastern Mennonite University, where he earned a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration. He later earned a Master of Teaching in Special Education from Liberty University. After moving to the Virginia Beach area in 2014, he pursued an educational specialist in administration and supervision from Old Dominion University. Dr. Marin recently earned an executive PhD in educational leadership, also from Old Dominion University in 2020. I really hope you're not going back to school again, because this is a lot here. <laughs> Dr. Marin is one of the proud assistant principals of Chambly Charter High School, a diverse high school located in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Marin brings an authentic and refreshing perspective to the field of education. As an administrator, he works hard to foster equitable opportunities and inclusive learning environments where all students and teachers are valued and respected, something we're gonna talk about here in a minute. Dr. Marin works daily to build meaningful relationships with students and desires to be the administrator he needed when he was growing up, yet did not have access to. As a former struggling student himself, Dr. Marin is humbled to be able to give back to students who historically have fallen through the cracks of education and have not been given a second chance. Dr. Marin has been afforded some incredible opportunities through the Association of Supervision and Curriculum Development, ASCD, that organization, such as selected as the 2017 Emerging Leader and being appointed as a featured speaker at the 2019 Empower Conference in Chicago. In addition, he met with U.S. Department of Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and her executive team to speak on behalf of marginalized and underserved students, and he explained to them how the lack of funding for education has impacted their educational experiences. Currently, Dr. Marin is the president of the Emerging Leaders ASCD National Affiliate. He is a contributing author in, author in several books, including Personal, Authentic, and Unconventional Leadership, Modern Mentor, which is from uh, Matthew Joseph. He's been on the show before. 
Forces of Influence and It's Me. And today we're talking about 100 no-nonsense things that all teachers should stop doing. Okay, Basil, thank you for joining us today on Focus Ed. We're going to jump right in. You wrote a chapter which we love recently in this book, 100 No-Nonsense Things That All Teachers Should Stop Doing. We mentioned it here before. We love your sentiments about the fact that we should stop lowering expectations for students, specifically marginalized students. First, just tell us why you chose this topic and what we should do to make this a priority in our schools. Absolutely. First, let me say thank you so much for allowing me to be here today um, on this podcast. I see you have some phenomenal leaders and some names that I recognize here. When asked to be a part of that project uh, with, with Rick Jeter, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I'm big about equity. Anything I speak about, tweet about, it's going to be rooted in equity and making sure that all students have what they need to be successful. And so when I, when I, was, told, when I was asked to pick, a, to pick a, something to stop, we should stop doing education, immediately I think about my experiences as, as a student myself who was once sent to two different middle schools or alternative schools myself for my behavior and how my teachers treated me in school and I think about my years as a teacher and things that I, I didn't know when I was going through and of the knowledge and theory I didn't know and then now as an administrator what I see teachers doing and, and one thing that resonated between all three of these different areas of my life was educators lowering expectations for students who look different than them sometimes. And we think that if we lower the expectations, we're lowering it for the kids to be able to get it. But in reality, you're serving those kids at a disservice, right? I see it a lot in special education classrooms where, you know, you go in the classroom and kids are joking and playing around. The curriculum is not being taught. The standards are not being taught at the level it needs to be taught. And then when we give, as an administrator, let me speak from that standpoint, I, I go to give feedback, right? And then I, I see Miss Sharon's here, right? So I go to pick on Miss Sharon for a minute. I say, hey, Miss Sharon, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the lesson I saw today. And then Miss Sharon will say, well, I, I just want to remind you, this is my special ed, ed, ed class, right? And teachers do that all the time because they want me to not lower my expectations for how I'm evaluating you. And that's not the case. If anything, Miss Sharon, you should be showing me a long list of everything you've tried to reach these kids because we know they need their accommodations, interventions, and different things to reach them where they're at. So one thing I, I we need to see in education across the board is stop lowering expectations for all students, especially our marginalized students, our black and brown students who are put in these classrooms, who are put in classrooms with you know, 35, 40 kids in a classroom, overcrowded, right? We're lowering expectations for them and it's not helping them to be successful and they continue to be behind the eight ball as they matriculate in their educational experience. So that was one of the things for me, gentlemen, that why I chose that was because I've seen that happen time and time again. Thank you, Basil. I think all of us on the call agree how critical that is. We also, I think, would all agree how difficult this is in times. And I appreciate you actually saying that this is done through the lens so they'll get it sometimes. This isn't necessarily done because intentionally. It could be done with a good heart, but that good heart isn't going to necessarily result in learning. And so I think once we really come to a a crossroads and say, all right, this is what we're facing. How are we going to move from here? So what are some practical strategies you can suggest? Because our listeners are in the building predominantly. They are like you. They're still in the trenches. 
we're facing, you know, the, the after effects of being out of school for a year. So we're focused on accelerated learning. Kids not even knowing how sometimes to walk in a line in a hallway in elementary school or sit down. You know, we're starting from scratch right. in, a, in a lot of places. So That's what are some suggestions, advice to you can offer that we don't lower our expectations, we offer support for our teachers and really start growing student achievement, knowing how difficult things are right now. Right. So one thing you just said is, is and I love it, being transparent and being real, where we are right now, right? And I think that's something where, where we have to start you all. I mean, I have ninth, I'm in a high school right now as an AP and we have kids who have not been in a school since seventh grade. And so we have kids walking around like a seventh grader, even though you're ninth grade. And, uh, and we think about psychologically, physically, emotionally, what are these kids going through that they're here now and the turmoil they've gone through academically, behaviorally, all of that during this time. I say right now for me that we, we have to be real, right? We have to be real. And so for me, there are three R's that I really focus on when it comes to you know impacting student achievement and helping students to go to the next level. The first one is relationships. You all, we have to get back to the basics of relationships and knowing our students. If you have a relationship with your students and you know what makes them tick, that will help you to better serve those students, right? Um, with my teachers this year, I, mean, I know we're kind of already too much in the school, but that first week of school, I told my teachers, I want all team building, relationship building, skill level things in your classrooms. Get to know your kids. What makes them tick? What, what, what kind of supports they need? Put them in those social environments where they'll be able to see how they can how they can be able to aspire and be able to grow. So I would say relationships. You gotta, we got to have that. Um, and that relationship will also lead to modeling, right? Model for our kids what it is to be respectful. We're a Title I school, so I don't know what schools are on the line or district leaders. But, you know, like our school, what is the Shambly way, right? Are we, are we moving with respect? Are we being able to talk to our elders with, uh, you know, with dignity and respect? Are we able to treat our peers with respect? What are you, what are you looking for? What are you modeling? And then you have to give that expectation to your staff, right? And your staff have to be modeling that 24 seven. And this, it is exhausting. So if you're looking for a quick three-step plan uh, podcast to do, to take your school to the next level, this is not the podcast, right? Because it's, it's hard work, right? But what I, what I will say is you cannot make a withdrawal from somewhere you have not made a deposit, right? And if you know a bank that does that, please let me know. Right. But a lot of times teachers and I, and I understand that right now with COVID, we're trying to take so much withdrawals from different people, from places we have not taken the time. It goes back to relationship to, to put deposits into people. So that's I've given you at the student level. Now, I will tell you all this SEL does not have an age limit in terms of the development. And so we have a lot of teachers right now, you all who are struggling and they're bringing that baggage to the to the schoolhouse. And so you also have to be in tune with your with your staff on what they need, your, your substitutes, what they need. They're also human as well. And so if you're getting to know your, your staff members and knowing that, hey, you know, you know, Dr. Phillips here, you know, he came into the, he came into the schoolhouse and I know him and he's just not himself that day. You know, I, hey, brother, you all right? Yeah, I just got some things going on. Today's is not the day. Well, look, man, I'm, I'm going to get you a substitute. Take care of yourself so we can have you be fresh for tomorrow. P people are, are pouring from empty cups, right? And, and when you do that, 
hurt people hurt people. And so a lot of times, I mean, we've had, I was being very transparent. We have teachers saying ridiculous things to, to students and saying things that they shouldn't be saying. And now they're already at the district office already in timeout. And we're, we're seven weeks into school. And that's because we're pouring from empty cups. So what do people need to rejuvenate? Not only do our students need that, but our staff need that. So as a leader, recognize what your staff need and how you're building the capacity of your staff so that they can continue to pour into our kids. And I think that's that's what, you know, send out a Google form and ask your staff, what is the area of need that you like to see? And if you see a couple of the streamlined things with all kind of come together, then have a PD on that. Right. A lot of times divisions are throwing PD like spaghetti against the wall and it's doing PD to say they did PD, but it's not relevant and it's not what people need right now. So give relevant PD about how to how to raise expectations right um for me you know we talk about the chapter in the book when you pour uh water into a canal all ships rise no matter what right so what are we doing to make sure that all kids rise for level of expectations but we got to give teachers what they need to be successful so for me gentlemen that that's what's what's going on i, I need to we need to see more SEL development and i i get it it's gonna be somebody on, on the podcast. We don't have time. We have standards. We have EOCs. We have testing. We have all of that. But we also got to make sure that we're addressing the human needs of students and our and our staff members before we can see any student achievement rise. So for me, the equity work and the work of, of, of reaching students should not be, you know, the, the the pasta salad we put on the side of the steak. It is the steak. It is what we do every day to make sure that kids have what they need. And it, should, it shouldn't be an add-on, but it is what we do every day to make sure kids get what they need. Thank you for that. We just recently wrote about a concept called the blend, which was really that curriculum side blended with the social and emotional side. So we really appreciate you bringing that up. We've been talking about that a lot recently and making sure that it's not an initiative, but that it's actually woven into the fabric. I'm curious, and I was curious when I read your chapter, if there are very specific things that you see schools doing that lower expectations from, like, I'm talking granular here from a scheduling perspective or from identification perspective, that you would say, look, that has to stop. When those things are happening, we have to take a really sharpen our pencil and take a stronger look at what's going on or pull adults aside? I mean, there, is there something granular you would say, elementary, middle, or high, that you say, don't do that anymore? Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep this answer short because I can do an hour just on this question. But I, I'd say there's so many different things that, that happen to the system of oppression that we see early in elementary school. A lot of times, I'll speak for a lot of you know black and brown males. We know that there's over-identification of, of special education for these for these young men. They come into first, second grade, you know, ADHD, not having been in preschool, coming to school now and not following the rules of school. That is a time where we see a lot of child studies happening, where the school will say, oh my gosh, you know, Jamal really needs to get some extra supports. Let's put him in a child study. They present that then to the family and say, you know, if we get, we're going to put Jamal in another class where there's another teacher who will be able to support and be able to give them supports they need. And we think this will be great for their development. No parent is ever going to say, oh my gosh, don't give my, my child extra support so they can't be successful. They see it as a school really being, being, you know, being a forerunner and saying, let's be proactive here. But then what they don't understand is now that child is being tracked for special education. Right. And, and the literature shows that many times students who are in special education are often not then tested for gifted in third grade. 
right? And so there, there's a correlation to that. And so what then happens is those students then stay on that special education track. And, and typically that track tends to show that they're in lower level classes, right? Remedial classes. They're not, they're not ever pushing to accelerated classes. And these are classes that are, again, 45, 50 kids in the class. And it's hard for any teacher, no matter how great you are, to be able to give those kids what they need in the classroom. And so that's just to kind of, at the general level, what I see. But then at, at the higher level, we have these, these classes, AP classes, IB classes. And it's, 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 it's crazy, but it's the truth, you all. I can go to any high school in the nation, walk down the hallway, look in a classroom and tell you if it's a general ed classroom, a special ed classroom, an AP classroom, I can tell you just by who's sitting in the classroom. And we shouldn't be able to do that. Right. And so that so that's an institutional thing that we see happening. And so, of course, if you have an AP classroom with 15 kids who, who are perceived want to be there and you have one teacher, they're going to be able to give all the students attention and be able to help them to succeed. Right. So then to your question, gentlemen, what happens when we have a student who is in, let's say, you know, general science, they were in they were in biology and maybe got a, you know, a, a C minus. And then what happens is that student says, you know, I really want to think about maybe taking uh, AP chemistry. Well, then that teacher will say, let's look at the pre prerequisites and look at the previous class. Uh, they didn't really make an A in that class. I don't think they're ready for my AP chemistry, right? And so what then happens is that that jump, which may have seemed high, but that kid may have been that kid may have been bored in that biology class. You don't you don't know. But now they're not given the opportunity to go to AP chemistry because the teacher felt they weren't ready. And so what we see a lot happening, gentlemen, are people are gatekeepers for why students are not able to go to the next level. I would say that's teachers, that there's counselors who are gatekeepers, administrators who are gatekeepers, and we could and we are okay in that system of the status quo. They don't fit the, the they're they're a peg, they're a square peg trying to go into a, a circular peg spot. They don't fit. But what are we going to do as education to make sure we give kids an opportunity? One story, story I will share with you personally that happened to me. Again, I was not the best student in school. I told you all earlier, I was sent to two different middle schools that were alternative schools because of my behavior. So the fact that I am where I am today is only by the grace of God. But what I will tell you is I went, I had a mentor. My, my, both of my parents are from the country of Belize, so they're not from the States. And I had a mentor who had asked me one day at an event. If I, if I had taken the SATs in my junior year and I looked at her and said, you know, Dr. Talia, I haven't sat anywhere. What are you, what are you asking me about the SATs? Like, what is that? Right. And she's like, you know, have, you know, it's definitely a test as a prerequisite to go to college. And I said, I, I don't think I'm going to college, Dr. Talia. I'm, I'm going to graduate if I can and then go work and just try to be a productive citizen. But college is not a deck of cards for me. And she said, no, I think we can we can make that happen. So you said, has your counselors or anybody had a workshop for you all in your classrooms or assemblies about the SATs and what it means and, and, and the importance of it? I said, no, ma'am. So she said, okay, listen, tomorrow, uh, I want you to go to your counselor and ask for this specific waiver to have the SAT be free for you, right? Are you on free and reduced lunch? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, okay, it'll be free, free for you. So the next day I went to my counselor, got the pass from the secretary and said, I wanna come back during lunch to see my counselor. So I go see my counselor. And again, a student who was on the track of being successful, you're supposed to have two meetings a year with your counselor where they pull you and ask you, how are you doing? And they want to see your schedule, how you're matriculating and stuff like that. Well, my counselor never met with me. So because I'm calling this meeting, now she wants to ask me these questions about how I'm doing. 
And I'm like, no, I, I, I summons you today. I'm, I'm good. Everything's fine. But I need to, I'm here on business. She says, okay. I said, I'm coming to get this waiver for the SAT. And she kind of looked at me and she said, oh, okay. So she went to go get the waiver, you all. And as she's handing it to me, she said, um, you know, Basil, I just want to tell you, I have a good friend who works for McDonald's corporate. Um, he works within, he works in DC and he makes six figures a year. He never, he never went to college. So for students who are not going to college, you don't need to fill out this form. And I tell you that story, you all, because I didn't ask her, her opinion. I was coming to get a paper that my mentor told me about, but in that moment, she chose to share with me how she thought of me. And I think there are students who are on a spectrum there are students where their parents are doctors, so you have no choice but to go through the system and be successful. There are students who are in the middle who kind of know what's going on, and there are students on the other side who have no clue. And I was in between the no, kind of knowing what I was doing and the no clue. And students who are in that range, the system is not made for them to be successful, especially for students who look like me. So again, we talk about stop lowering expectations. My counselor in that moment lowered her expectation of me and told me, you don't need to go to college. There's other routes out here to be successful. Why does she feel me to tell me that, right? So I would not be who I am today, making the impact I am today. If in that moment, I said, you know what? I don't need that paper. You're right. I, I wasn't trying to go to college anyway. I was just coming here. Dr. Tyler told me to come. But that's just an example of something I've experienced, a microaggression in my life where, again, the reason I became an educator, the reason I became an administrator is to stand in the gap for kids who are experiencing things like that every single day that you may see or may not see. And those are things when you talk about equity and access. Are all kids given access or given opportunity to be successful? And I think we all know the answer, but what are we doing in this chat room right now in this on this podcast? What are each of us doing to make sure that all kids have what they need in our various positions? And so that, that's what's important to me, brother, but we, brothers, but we got to do better in education because we're stopping kids. We're being gatekeepers for kids not being able to be successful. So we appreciate fully, you know, you being transparent, you being willing to be vulnerable with us. It's not lost on us. So we appreciate you sharing that. If you don't mind me asking, travel down this road a little bit more. Why do you still think you filled out the paper? Because I think that could give us insight, you know, with that kid who says, you know, who didn't take your step, you know, didn't listen to the mentor, turned around, but you listened, you filled out that paper. Why do you think? One thing is, is my dad's a pastor. So if there's anybody who's on here who's a PK or knows of a PK, y'all know we can, we can be the poster children of, of, of tearing it up, <laughs> okay? So I was supposed to be perfect. So I was everything not perfect. So this was a, Dr. Tally was a professor at James Madison University and she knew my dad very well. And we, we would meet every Wednesday at my, my father's church to learn more about African-American history. That's what she taught at JMU. And she could not stand that we only learned about uh, African-American history history during February. So really we had a, a good family tie. And so she, I had a, I had a deep respect for her gentlemen, right. And, and what she meant for the community, what she meant to my dad and how she helped me to develop. As I told you all, I, I went to two different alternative schools. And every time I went to the school board, she was right there at the panel fighting for me. 
right? Saying, no, Basil has an opportunity to do better. I personally will see to this. When I got rejected to go to college because of my SAT scores, the, all, the paper that I tried to get, <laughs> then I took the test, didn't do well. So now I'm trying to go to college. And she, she, she had a call a meeting with the president of a university to say, hey, this young man's working at the Boys and Girls Club. He's a community member. We need to give him an opportunity. And so really I did it based on my relationship and my 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 confidence in Dr. Tally and what she saw in me. Um, and when I present, there's a, there's a, a, a graphic that I show and it's a, it's a kitten looking into a puddle of water, right? And in the reflection of the water is a tiger. And sometimes when you're talking to students and you're ministering to students, because this is a ministry, well, I believe that when you're, when you're working with students and really help them to go to the next level, you have to speak to the tiger that's within them, even though they can't see it, they can't taste it, they don't feel like it, you have to speak to that. And I truly believe that Dr. Tally was speaking to the tiger that was within me, even though I felt like a kitten. I was acting like a kitten, doing all things kitten. She said, there's something there that we have to continue to nurture. And so to answer your question, I would say just off the respect that I had for her, I did it, right? And so the, I want to kind of go back to the three R's real quick. The first was relationship, but the second one was rigor. And then the third one was readiness. And so we talk about stop lowering expectations. We have to keep the rigor where it is, gentlemen, and, and where it's going, right? And, she, and everything I did in my life, she wanted to make sure that I got the rigor that I needed. And then she said, I'm going to make sure you have the readiness to get there. So whether you're at the elementary level, we need to make sure the readiness from, from them leaving fifth grade is, is it, as they matriculate to go to sixth grade, that they're ready. When they're in middle school and they're going to eighth grade, as they matriculate, are they truly ready to go into ninth grade? That is your sole task in whatever role that you're in. And then if you're in high school, as they cross that stage, are they really ready to go to whatever post-secondary option that they have? Right. And so that's that's our goal in education. It's, it's a continuum. And so really, we all should be working together to make sure all kids have that. But Dr. Tally is it's what she saw in me. And it's the way she uh, Dr. Maya Angelou said it, said it best. You, and I'm, I might jack this up, so I'm sorry. But the premise is it's not what someone said to you that you remember, but it's how they made you feel. And whenever I was in Dr. Tally's space, she made me feel like I was somebody. She made me feel special. She would push me outside of my comfort zone. Um, I will never forget the time that I, I had to do a speech for JMU and I was speaking in front of the governor of Virginia and I, you all were shaking in my boots. I'm like, this black kid coming from South Central Los, Los Angeles, why am I speaking in front of the governor? Like, I'm not, I'm not worthy. But she said, you have a voice that needs to be heard to speak and speak from your heart. And, and so she will put me in predicaments and situations like that, that only propelled me to be a better leader, right? And that those are the same, the same skills I use today, right? So that for me is you got to be able to believe in your kids and they have a sixth sense to know, right? Uh, you have, I, I believe his name is uh, Dr. Dr. Gene here, right? A kid will know if you're serious or not. Please don't leave his podcast and say, I'm going to go do high fives and, you know, toe touches when we go, you know, kids enter my school and they know if you're genuine or not, they can feel that they can feel when you genuinely believe in them and say, Hey, I want you to be successful. They can feel that. So for me, gentlemen, that's what it was. I believed in her belief in me. I, th I think Basil, that's a tremendous example of relationship. Right. So we, we talk about relationships all the time, but I appreciate you digging into what Dr. Tally did because it's not just time. It's really investing, but it's that efficacy. It's that belief that, you know what, you're special, even if you don't know it yet, mm -hmm. but I know it. And that's a totally different 
frame of mind when we deal with our students. So if you were going to do one thing, Basil, to improve the student experience in every school, what would it be? The, the biggest thing for me is, is, to, is to fill schools with educators who are about to work. That, that, that is, that's the premise of it. When we, when we do hiring you all and we hire people, don't just look for individuals who just know the, who just know the standards or know the, the, the Delaware curriculum. That, that's cute, that's, that's sweet, and that's great. I'm glad you graduated from a top university in Delaware. But do you understand what kids really need? Do you understand the dichotomy of what students are going through? And, and what they and how they might be coming from the projects, they might be coming from a foster care situation, they might be coming from different walks of life than yourself, and you don't have to look like our students to be able to impact them, right? But you got to have the heart, I always say you have to do the heart work before you can do the hard work. And so do we, do we know what our students really need? So I would say filling our schools with impactful leaders like people who are here today to make sure that the work is being done and holding people accountable. We have to stop stop dwelling you all and sitting in status quo water. It, 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 it's time for change. We have to rebuild this broken system, right? And if anything that COVID has shown us gentlemen is that the system before did not work, right? And that COVID only exacerbated what was already happening. You would not believe educators across the United States was who are saying, oh my goodness, every student doesn't have a Chromebook. Every student doesn't have internet or a hotspot. They don't have what they need in school. Yeah, this is not new. It's not new. But how do we how do we bounce back from here and not hit the the, the easy the stable easy easy button and say okay let's reset? But how do we create a system? How do we create pathways for students to be successful now that we know the needs that are there? So for me, I would say it's the people, you all. We, we want to continue to buy you know, programs and all this with our ECCR money, our CARES Act money. The, the programs are programs, y'all. We need people who are going to do the work. If you don't have the right people in place, it's for nothing. Thank you for that answer. You know, we believe in that for sure. We've talked with you about it before and, and obviously, you know, produced some publication and so forth on that topic. And just leading down that road about publications, you're widely read, you've, you've written for multiple publications. What's your favorite resource to support teaching, learning, leadership, and the things you've been talking about today? Is there somebody inside the system who you follow or even outside of the system who you would point to for our listeners to say, you got to get a hold of this material and, and soak it up? The first one I'll say for me, it, it, it's, I don't want to say it's light reading. I don't want to start with that. But if you're not familiar with Baru, Dr. Brudy Kefele, he's a powerful author, right? And so he's, his newest book is out, The Equity and Social Justice Education. And this is a powerful book. And he, he has a myriad of books. So I would just say get his last five books, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're willing to, to change the game. And he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth on whatever he speaks. Again, they're light, light readings in terms of they're not a lot of pages, but they're deep. They can be reflective questions that he has in each book that you can sit down with your admin team, your A team, and ask questions about if you're being data-driven, right? Let's, let's start there. Are you using data to drive your school? And if you're doing that, sit down and dwell in that data and sit down and say, what are we doing to make sure our bubble kids are doing right? 
if we have a gifted and marketing gifted program, how are we growing our scholars to go to the next level? Uh, we talked about readiness. It's not just all about the kids who are at risk and marginalized, but we have to grow everybody, right? So using these questions to, to pivot and to have you as a team, I always say iron sharpens iron. So being able as a team to come together and see how you all are working within your schools. Uh, next book I, I really love is Dr. Pedro Nogueiro. And this is Excellence Through Equity. And this is a big book we used in Virginia. It's again about equity and it's a lot of good stories, a lot of good analogies and just frameworks on how to be able to use equity within your space. And again, Dr. Dr. Nogueiro is, I want to say he's in California, maybe UCLA as a dean now, but he's done some great work in equity. And I think that he, he's a phenomenal uh, educator. And then another book I've kind of gotten to recently is, is getting better or get better faster, right? Again, a lot of good frameworks, resources about data-driven practices, how to move not only your, your, your bottom level teachers, but your top level teachers. Again, how to, it's a lot about coaching, skill building. Again, if you are a building leader, a district leader, this, these are books that will help to move the needle instructionally within your school. And these are some books that I picked up this summer just to be able to, to, to sharpen my tools and continue to, to be, uh, again, at, at the top of what's being out there in terms of literature. Again, you have two brothers here who've written books and a lot of articles uh, I'm sure you all have seen as well. So definitely want to shout out to their, their work as well. But yeah, I think there's a lot of good resources out here, but most of the things I'm going to share is going to be rooted in equity because that's, that's again, helps all students to be successful. Thank you for that. Yeah, we've had the privilege of interviewing Rudy Caffelle on our One Thing series. And usually, Basil, they're like 30 minutes and he was going and we weren't going to interrupt. <laughs> and, and I'll say he dropped probably five books that he recommended that are not common within equity, even in the equity world, they're not that common. So we were very appreciative of his candor and his saying, look, people are still tiptoeing, but the books that we're reading need to even get a little more real. And he was willing to share those with us. And we're fortunate, our, our state here, we've invited Pedro in before, Dr. Nagaro. And, you know, I will say Delaware, uh, the Department of Education supports this podcast. They support it, like bringing Pedro and others in. It's a phenomenal state to work with and really support us. So, Basil, final question. If there's something you wish someone would write about, a topic, something you're thinking about that you would love to explore more there's not much out there. What would that be? Well, right now I'm in the works of, of talking to several publishers and it's, it's really about the notion of how do we operationalize equity, right? We, we see so much about equity and how to do it, but you all, I'll be very candid. I think a lot of districts, a lot of schools use equity as a buzzword, right? You go into these interviews and people are dropping equity and I'm going to be so equitable and I'm going to create equitable learning environments. And that that's cute, <laughs> right? Got my brother Gary, look, it's cute, but okay, how, what does that look like? right? Tell, tell me what that looks like. What does that look like at the school level, at the classroom level? What does equity truly look like when you spell it out? And I think a lot of books speak about the context and the, the, the 35,000 35, foot view of equity, but how do we really break it down? And, and I want to say too, for me, I do a lot of consulting with principals, directors, superintendents, um, even though I'm a sister principal. And, and the reason I'm able to do that is because a lot of these leaders are, have not really done the work. And so now they're in these positions 
and, and districts and, and boards are saying, okay, we need to have our strategic plan now that really infuses equity because we, we haven't been doing it, right? And so nobody, no superintendent wants to call someone and say, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> like, help me out, right? But I, I do some of that consulting because I'm like, this is a safe space. Let's, what, what, is, what is your vision, right? What do, what do you want to do? Where do you need development and help? And I will say, I, I see a lot of equity warriors who come in with, you know, a jackhammer and they're just, ah, and they're just coming in. And I'm like, you, you can't do that work like that. You have to do the work with the chisel because it's very sensitive. You're dealing with cultures, races. It's just so many different things going on when we talk about equity. So how do we chisel away to make sure that everyone is able to be able to, to reach equity at their at their place right and so i had a friend uh you know white male director of schools in louisiana and we were re reading a book study of white fragility and he told me that reading, reading that book was like eating glass and i told him you know it's not until people are uncomfortable that they're going to move they're going to move from that uncomfortable and make and make a difference for other people right? I explained to him that there's a reason why Lifetime is so successful. Now, I'm not saying I'm sitting at home watching Lifetime, you all, but I'm saying just in general, that, that channel's been around for a long time. And the reason is, is that when you watch any Lifetime movie, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry, you're going to be like, man, whew, okay, they almost died a couple of times. But, you, but what you're able to do, you all, at the end of the movie is you're able to turn it off and say, all right, that movie's done, I'll move on with the rest of my day. But something I cannot do, you all, on this podcast is I can't turn off my blackness. I can't go to Walmart. I can't go to Walgreens. I can't go to Target and turn off my blackness as a black man. And I will always be perceived as a black man, right? No one will walk up to me and say, how credentialed are you? They'll just see me for who I am or how I present. And so how do we make sure? And then, and then people see that, they then treat me that way, right? So how are, now that I've given you that illustration, how are we treating our students? based on how they look, how are we treating our staff members based on how we look, how are we showing people that they're cared about based on our own biases and what we perceive as, as going on, right? Um, a quick story, I have a program in my school I, I founded called My School Sons. And it's, it's a, a level of mentorship I take to a whole nother level because we have so many black and brown young men who are living in fatherless homes. And I tell them, I, I will never be able to place your father. I'll never be able to place your dad, but I'll, I'll be a black role model for you here while you're here in school. And so one day, one of my sons was in, was in my office doing some work. I'm always wearing a suit because I want them to understand that when you see a black man in a suit, it doesn't have to be a PO. It doesn't mean I'm going to court. It doesn't mean it could, it could be every day a professional and I want them to be able to see that. And so one day I went to the office, to the main office, to deal with something and I came back and he said, Dr. Moran, I want to learn how to, how to act white like you. And I paused. I said, you, and I repeat, I said, you want to learn how to act white like me? He said, yeah. He said, you go out there, you see very professional. He said, you act white, you come back, you, you calm the parents down and they don't go to the superintendent. And I had to explain to him, it's not acting white, that's being professional, right? And I told him that as a young black male, you're going to live in a world where you're going to have to double dutch. You're going to have to learn how to code switch. I said, I could sit here and talk slang to you all day and laugh and joke. And the superintendent walks by and I, I'm going to have to switch it up. And my vernacular will change. He said, yeah, that's you being fake. I said, that's me knowing my environment, right? And so how, so if we're not teaching kids that, who is? When we step into the real world, that the, this school to prison pipeline, you all, is a real thing. 
And the real thing about education is the root word we're supposed to be educating. And if we're not educating students on how to navigate this thing called life, who else is going to teach them that? Right. So that's that's, again, why a lot of my work is with, with the equity, the hard work. And so we had a, a very powerful conversation about what does it mean about what he said about me acting white, but really about how I'm trying to be a beacon of hope and light for him so that he can do things differently, because if he's not seeing that, who is he going to see that from? Right. So that again, that was a lot. Sorry, guys, a long <laughs> answer to your question. But these are some real life examples of things that we see and go through every day. But how do we use our role? How do we use our light as educators to make a difference in a kid's life? I think it's a great reminder, too, that we can all be that beacon of hope and that it's our responsibility. And it's also our responsibility to put the right folks in front of our kids and connect our kids to the right folks so that they can see that, be that, grow into the people that they have the potential to be. Basil, this has been great. I mean, a wonderful interview with you. We knew you were going to kill it today on the podcast, the live audience here. I can see them shaking their heads and, and, and moving along with us. We really appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you would like to add, a request, uh, something that you would just like to close with here? Um, just continue to do the work, you all, right? Again, you all heard, I mean, a little bit of snippet of my story. I wish I had more time to give a little bit of my story, but just know that a kid from a kid, a kid like me from South Central with parents who are not from the United States, if I can navigate the system and, and be successful, there's so many other students out here like me who, who, need, who need educators like you who believe in them. Just really quick, when I did my dissertation defense, when they call me, you know, Dr. Moran, I cry like a baby because every... Every, every paper you all ever turned in got butchered. <laughs> every, every assignment. I mean, I, I, I did not like school and still to this day don't like school, but I understand the importance of it. But when they, when they called me Dr. Moran and said my dissertation had no edits, that was just a phenomenal moment. And then when they had gave me an opportunity to close up, I told them, and I have a podcast coming up titled this, if we're doing education correct and doing it right, I should not be a unicorn in education. Right. We talk about black males in education. We are two percent of a teaching force. Right. Talk about administrators who go to the next level is even more skimpy. Right. When we do the when we do the numbers on black males who who, who hold terminal degrees, it's point zero zero seven. Right. And so how do we continue to change the narrative so that more kids, more adults, more individuals are able to achieve that level of success, right? It's not just out here, just the only select few can get it. It's, it's attainable for all, but how do we open up the pathways for it to happen? So again, educators like you are people who make that happen and make it possible. So continue to do what you're doing. We thought about retiring this year. Hold on, because we need you. We need you to continue to, 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 to hit the pavement and make sure that all kids have what they need. Because, again, you don't know who's the next president in your classroom, the next mayor in your school, the next ph ph philanthropist. You just never know how, how much of a difference you can make in child's life. And I know many of you have had kids that come back to you and said, thank you. Thank you, Melissa, for what you've done in my life because you made a tremendous difference. Thank you, Gary, for the work you've done and for being tough on me because I needed that tough love. You just never know, you know, Levana, who, 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 whose life you've changed. So definitely love some questions from you all. At the end, I'm a people, people person, so this is killing me. I'm like, I want to talk to people, but I, I appreciate the time they've given me today to speak to you all because you're doing some great work in Delaware. Fantastic. You you all heard it here on Focus Ed, Dr. Basil Marin. Everyone, how about a virtual round of applause from our live audience here on Zoom? Thank you for that. 
Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focused Ed. Until then, stay focused. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell. How do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend Ghost Bed, our sponsor, with 30,000-plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out Ghost Bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com.